The nail in the coffin! It's episode number 59 of The Nail. Tom Valentino, Travis Yuli. We are recording on Tuesday night. And Trav, I was at the queue last night for WWE Monday Night Raw. And during the commercial breaks, I was texting with you a little bit. And I was watching some of the Cavs game on my phone. Not a great night for the team down there in New Orleans. And then this morning, I'm reading LeBron's postgame comments. And I have to ask you now, as we get started here, should I have tried to go get uh, The Undertaker or Bill Goldberg to go upstairs at the arena and go put the fear of God in the Cavs front office? <laughs> I don't I don't know what the deal was. Like, it was, it was sort of a tale of two games. And, and we'll go back if you go back and look at it or, or you know, sort of see how the game went. Um, yeah, the Cavs defense wasn't great in the first half of this game, but the but truthfully they also played way above their heads um the pelicans you mean the pelicans right they um the pelicans offense for whatever reason every guy on that team didn't seem to miss and truthfully if the Cavs gave them everything um they still probably scored 10 to 15 points more than they normally would have even with that that subpar defense that they were playing against um and then the Cavs came back in the second half and made a hell of a game out of it. Kyrie Irving was unconscious in the second half. Um, and they got, I think, the final was like a two-point game. There was a garbage three at the end. So for all intents and purposes, it was like a four- or five-point game. Um, but they really chipped away at it. And and I thought it made a pretty pretty damn good you know move at the end to, to make it a respectable game. And it's like, yeah, they came out slow. They waited too long to turn it on. But um, they still almost took it from them. So... I, I sort of came away optimistic, but when you look at um, what is it? What are they at now? Five of the last seven they've lost. Right. Um, they're in the middle of a really bad stretch that I don't think they expected. And when you say, um, regardless of the positive spin I just put on the game, they still lost to the Pelicans without Anthony Davis. Um, so that's sort of the thing. They were, I think they probably came to that game thinking, all right, we can finally get off this skid. And they didn't. Yeah, I mean, that so. was that was a thing. And I think that's, you know, LeBron, uh, what he said last night coming out of that game, uh, it was really indicative of the same message of, that he's been kind of uh, laying on for about a month or six weeks now of, you know, the team needs a playmaker. And it kind of feels like that's almost become the, the rallying cry of 2016, 2017, just like last year, it for a while you heard the players kind of say we need an enforcer and two years ago it was we need a rim protector and playmaker has become the topic du jour this year and uh, you just you look at the stats and and just the burden that's being placed on Kyrie and LeBron to try to facilitate basically any and all offense for the Cavs right now and it's wearing them down and, and just the number of minutes that those two guys played last night. I mean, for a, a game in late January against the Pelicans, it's, it's unconscionable, but I mean, it was kind of like LeBron said there, like, I mean, he, he said, you know, I'm, I don't hold that against Ty Lue. It's like, who the hell else are we going to play? And um, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's rough. And, you know, just to talk about that 
facilitating uh, for teammates. I was listening to Brian Windhurst had a great stat today. He said, if you look at the Warriors and the Spurs, they've got, I believe, at least seven players averaging at least two assists a game. The Cavs have two. So it really illustrates just what a big burden there is on those two guys in particular. Yeah, but it's weird because I I feel like this happens every January, first of all. Um, LeBron sort of throws his, his requests at the front office and in sort of a passive-aggressive way. This year it was more aggressive than passive, but um, I feel like this happens every year, and I, I'm not – I'm not overly concerned about it. Certainly, I'd much rather they be playing better right now. Um, they went out and got Kyle Korver, and, and I'm not sure if that... I think we loved it at the time because it seemed like a drastic upgrade over Mike Dunleavy, who wasn't doing what everyone thought he was going to be doing. Um, but it doesn't seem like it's what LeBron really wanted. Um, I mean, I'm th- I think he's probably fine with it. He's he, He'd rather have Korver, too, and he likes having that guy there, but it still didn't feel what what he saw as the most glaring need. Um, and he keeps going back to it. And, but I'm not really sure what he expected. Like you look at, has he ever had that? I mean, well, in Miami, it was him, Bosch and Wade. There wasn't, I don't care what anyone says. Mario Chalmers coming off your bench. Isn't doing much for you. Yeah. I um, mean, the, these aren't guys. No, I, I was just going to say, I, I, in terms of like what he could expect, you know, I, I'm, I'm glad that you said that uh, his tone this year, is a little bit different from this year's because I, I do think he understands to a degree where they're at. And it feels to me, and maybe I'm just misreading the situation, but it feels to me almost like he's more mad at the situation than anybody in particular. And, you know, he, he did try to, you know, come out today on his Twitter account late this afternoon and, you know, say he doesn't hold it against Griff. And, you know, he said last night, I don't hold it against Ty Lue. And, um, you know, I mean, he's very clear, but hey, that said, this is what we need. I mean, he's not backing off of that, but, um, you know, in past years when he did not, I mean, there was a clear lack of trust with, you know, you know, I think in the first uh, LeBron era, when you go back uh, before he left for Miami, I think there was a clear lack of trust with the front office. And if you look at the second era, um, you know, I, I think, uh, definitely the same thing existed with David Blatt. And uh, I just get the sense that, you know, he expects a lot out of these guys, but at the same time, I get the impression that he has more trust in them than he's ever had in any coach and front office combination since he's been playing in Cleveland. Yeah, I think that's true. Um, the one thing I didn't like was, it. it, it he, I'd have to go back and, check the quotes directly and i'm not sure if he said names specifically or if he just very poorly alluded to names without actually saying them um i feel like he kind of threw some guys under the bus and it's guys that yeah they're not great players k felder's not a great player he's a second round draft pick rookie he mentioned um, he mentioned liggins and felder by name and, and specifically said you know it's it's not their fault i mean basically and I don't remember the exact phrasing he used, but it was basically like, you know, these are guys that don't have years in the league. They're still trying to find their way. It's not a, a fair expectation to, you know, think that they're going to be able to just produce everything that like Delhi might've, 
given you last year after he had been in the league for a few years. In that situation, shouldn't he be trying to like pump those guys up? Well, I think he's trying to take the pressure off of them. I mean, he knows the reality of the situation, and I think everybody else knows the reality of the situation. I mean, you know, you and I really talked about Liggins, uh, I think it was about a month ago on here, Um, and and when he first kind of cracked into the rotation there, I think it was right after JR went down with the thumb injury, he looked really great. And, you know, I think we said at the time, he's going to make his money by being that pain in the ass defender guarding you 94 feet and hustling and scrapping for loose balls and, and doing dirty work. And, you know, and, and that's really, I think he's still been able to do that. But um, if you really look at like what they're doing at the offensive end, I mean, he, he doesn't need to be a 10 point per game scorer, but you need him to be able to keep defenses honest. And, uh, you know, I, I've seen some clips online and there's some really great, there's, I can't remember his name at the moment. It escapes me, but one of the contributors for fear of the sword was, you know, showing some clips from that Spurs game the other night where San Antonio is just flat out guarding four calves and they're leaving Liggins by himself in the corner. And when you start doing that, that's how LeBron starts getting forced into six or seven turnovers in a game because you can slide a defender over and cut off his path to the basket and he's either going to, you know, charge into the defender or he's going to throw it away. And um, you need somebody in that other corner to keep those guys honest. And and it's become pretty clear at this point, uh, Liggins, um, you know, he could give you a spot five or ten minutes. But to expect anything more than that, I think everybody knows the writing's on the wall. He's, he's not going to be that guy. Yeah, and yesterday specifically, like LeBron, he kind of after the game, he pointed out, you know, Kyrie did his thing and he had to when he had a, a, an ins- insanely good night. And I, it was weird because I was listening to the radio today and people were saying like, um, yeah, he had 49, but it took him 28 shots. It's like, that's that's not a lot of shots to get to 49 points. I don't know what people were getting at. Um, no, if you get like 28, had, if you need 28 shots to get 30 points, that's a, that's then, inefficient. Then you be but... worried. Right. And Kyrie, I mean, Kyrie was on fire. He had a couple drives where he drove to the basket and there was a couple guys there that he wasn't able to get off a great shot. So, I mean, yeah, there was a couple, like, he was forcing a little bit, but he was also in the fucking zone and he was making everything. So I, I thought Kyrie, obviously, better game than even the box score might say. Um, Brown, I think, is on the other side of that. He had a triple-double, but he had some just bonehead plays where he was just trying to do way too much and, like, dribbled off his foot Um turn the ball over a few times at really bad moments where um had a great chance to you know sort of throw a knockout punch for uh, for lack of a better term see i gotta go back and, and and look at the 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 you know clips from last night but that kind of gets into you know the point that i was just making is i'd be curious to know like how many of those turnovers that he had were situations where he got forced into bad positions because defenders were able to kind of tilt the floor towards him and, and take away a lot of what he wants to do. And that's probably, I mean, that's probably part of it, but a lot of times, I mean, typically we've seen, um, typically we've seen him, you know, rip that apart, sort of take advantage of that, um, and get his teammates a little more involved. And I know, I, I don't know I think he might've had 12 or 13 assists last night, but it was one of those games where watching it. It just didn't really feel like he was doing, what the box score said he was doing. And obviously far be it for me to question, you know, his decision-making and things like that. I understand like he's earned some of that leeway. He knows when to take over um, by all means. So 
I don't know. It was one of these games where I just got more frustrated with him than I did with anyone else. And I do think the minutes are starting to take a little bit of a toll on him. Um, he logged over 40 again yesterday after he put 40 something in on Saturday. Um, and it showed like there was a play yesterday where he got uh, blocked by Terrence Ross and he just didn't have any explosion whatsoever. Like he was going for a layup and Terrence Ross just stuffed him. Like he, he, he didn't have any explosiveness. Um, and it wasn't what we're used to seeing from LeBron. So, um, I think we're, we're getting to that point in the season where we, we might, uh, we might need to give LeBron his, his, his game, uh, his games off that he's, he's used to getting. Yeah. Give him his, give him his two week rest. Like we always do. Um, maybe get a couple wins on our bell here. We have a pretty weak schedule coming up. And I, I guess at this point, you might as well save it for after the all-star break. Um, but I guess I should ask this. Is Ty Lue coaching the all-star game? I don't think he is. Um, unless they change the rule, I'm pretty sure you can't coach the all-star game in consecutive years. Two years in a row. So <laughs> the great irony of it is, you know, he coached last year when I think at that point he had coached the Cavs for about seven or eight games. Right. And right. now this year when he's actually had a full season, he's ineligible. As far as I know, that might've changed. I mean, well, they obviously changed the, the voting ever for to the- me if LeBron like uh tweaked an ankle or something about two minutes into that game. What's um, that? If, if LeBron just, and I, sorry, you can't see it. I was doing air quotes, um, <laughs> tweaked an ankle. If he just made his minutes, you know, slim to none in that game, I wouldn't, I wouldn't hate it. Um, for all three. I, and, I, and I know, Right now, there's officially two Cavs in. It's him and Kyrie, but I think we're both in agreement that Kevin Love's probably going to be on the All Star team as well. And you know, he's and been the kinda, voting looks like this. That. Yeah, and he's been kind of hobbling with his back. I I'll be honest. I I would be fine if all three of those guys played um, minimal minutes. And you know, that's that's not unprecedented, especially as guys get later into their careers. I'm guessing that Kyrie and Love will play a little bit more, but. Um, you know, I can remember Kobe, especially in his last couple of years, uh, he was able to kind of throttle back the number of minutes that he played in the all-star game. And, you know, I don't know if they were quite at that point for LeBron yet, but, you know, he also does not need to be playing more than about 20, I would hope. Yeah, and I, that's normally how all-star games go. No one really logs that many minutes, but yeah. Um, yeah, I think we're probably at the point, we're getting very close to where, LeBron needs to, you know, shut it down, recharge, give himself a couple of weeks off. Um, obviously, without J.R. Smith being around, it's a little trickier me, than we're maybe used to. Yeah, let me ask you, how much different would this team look right now? And how much different would the scenario that they're in, how much different would it be if J.R. was not injured? A lot. A lot different. Um, J.R. is that playmaker. I mean, he's not... He's not necessarily create your own shot guy, but he is capable of just going on, you know, big spurts that can that can completely get it, get them back into a game or kill another team's run um, or, you know, sort of give them a comfortable cushion or a comfortable lead. So they they're they're missing that for sure. And it, and like you said, they've been playing league in so many minutes that it's that fifth guy they don't have to guard. You can't do that with Jr. Um, it makes everyone's job easier. Yeah, and I I think the other thing with him that, I mean, obviously his shooting is always what's going to grab the headlines, but 
he can defend when he wants to. And yeah, yeah. and he's a pretty damn good perimeter defender. He's shown that the last couple of years. And their defense, their their defense has slipped. I mean, I think a lot of that stems from just their shooting percentages being down. Like over the last fifteen games or so, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but three point shooting almost across the board has been way down. And you know the turnovers are up, and I think that leads to a lot of easy baskets at the other end. But the Cavs, you know, when it all kind of it all kind of filters in together and. Um, you just, you, you see them kind of, I mean, there's in no circumstances should they be giving up more than 120 points to the New Orleans Pelicans when Anthony Davis is not playing. And, um, you know, you get those offensive contributions from Jr. and he can defend. And, um, you know, the other thing with that is once he's starting and getting his 25 or 30 minutes or whatever, then that can push Shump back down into a normal reserve role. And, yeah, then you're relying less on Liggins. You're relying less on Richard Jefferson, which, by the way, all right, so you were you were at the game on Saturday night. I was at the game on Saturday night against the Spurs. We were not sitting together, but I want to know, did you feel during the game as much as I did, um, Richard Jefferson just getting absolutely put into a roaster by Kawhi Leonard? Yeah, that's, that's, that's a matchup that's not going mean, to work out. Yeah, I mean, to be fair, uh, Kawhi Leonard's going to do that to a lot of people, but it just, it 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 was um, just overwhelming in, in how noticeable it became. And it just, I'm a little bit concerned about RJ, I think, in general. And I think he his, can't be long in extensive minutes. No, and, and relied his, on his three point shooting, can't. his three point shooting is down about 11% from last year. So um, that's a guy, I think. You're not going to count on for a huge role, but he absolutely made some big contributions during the finals last year, and um, you're going to need him for something this year. So yeah, I mean, let's be honest he's 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 an older guy. Like he's he's been in the league for a long time. He's expected to be a step, couple steps slower every year from now on. Like there's going to be. I I feel like he's sort of at the point where, if we're being honest with ourselves. They got more out of him than they should have last year. Absolutely. Absolutely. This, what we're seeing now is probably what we should have expected. Um, and it's another one of those cases, I think where, um, he's probably getting a few of JR's minutes where he's playing a little longer than he needs to, or than they'd like to. Um, and yeah, he's just, he can't do it all game. He can't, he's not going to lock down anybody anybody worth anything on offense isn't intimidated to go against um, Richard Jefferson. So, and I'm not going to knock the guy because I mean, obviously he's been a great player for a lot of his career and he's an older player. You shouldn't expect him to be an all-star obviously. Um, but they're relying, they're, they're just expecting more of guys than I think they probably would like to be. And he's probably one of the biggest culprits of that. And it's out of necessity just because of where they're at with their roster, which kind of leads me into the next point I want to make. And while we're dealing in the hypothetical of how things would look different with JR, how much different would their rotation look if Mo Williams didn't decide to bail on the season on media day? Um, I, I think LeBron even kind of indirectly referenced that when he was talking in his postgame comments last night. Um, that really screwed the Cavs. They they were banking on Mo to play one more year and serve as the backup point guard, and um, 
you know, he, he had kind of waffled a little bit over the summer. And, but once we got into September, I mean, he had said, yeah, I'm, I'm coming back. I know the, what the team needs. And I pretty clearly remember like an interview with him on cleveland.com where he was saying all this stuff. And then all of a sudden on media day, when everybody shows up for the first day of training camp, it was, yeah, never mind, I'm done. And gets a surgery. And now he's been uh, traded and waived and picked up and um, by about seven different teams. I think Denver's done it twice so they can get to their uh, their salary floor or whatever. And, you know, Mo Williams has become just a, a commodity, I guess. But, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I just Your thoughts on that? Um, I'm not totally sure he would have been – uh, that he would have been, you know, curing any of our ills this year, quite frankly. Um, really? Because I disagree. But go on. I, I, he doesn't provide anything for me defensively. Um, uh, in chances, he, I don't know how many opportunities. It's fair to say he he even had last year, but I didn't think he really gave you any. Gave you a whole bunch outside, maybe a couple different instances here and there, but. Um, he wasn't what I expected him to be last year. So I don't know why I would have expected differently this year. Maybe I guess with Delhi out, he would be getting a few more minutes. So maybe that's, you know, allows him to get into a little more rhythm or something along those lines. But for the most part, I didn't think he was that good last year. So I wasn't really going to expect him to be that good this year. That's fair. Um, I, I guess my counter to that would be, yeah, Delhi absolutely outplayed him in the early part of last season and really took his spot as the backup point guard. Um, and, and, you know, fair play to Delhi. He had a, a hell of a year through most of the regular season, but I mean, Delhi kind of tailed off as the playoffs went on and into the finals. And I gotta be honest, I felt like by the end of the finals, I mean, it was going to be Kyrie playing 45 minutes or whatever, but, um, if you needed somebody to come in and spell him for a couple of minutes, Bo actually ended up being trusted in that spot a little bit more. And, you know, like you said, yeah, he's not a great defensive player, but, I mean, he is a, a competent veteran backup who understands how to run an offense. And really, you're, you're looking for a caretaker with the second unit for those regular season games. Um, like last night is a is a perfect scenario. Yeah, I mean, I understand Kyrie went off and maybe that's not the, the perfect, perfect example of it. But when you're playing, you know, one of those grinded out games in the middle of the of January and you're just trying to get through the calendar without putting up too many miles on your stars, um, that's where having a veteran that you can trust to run your second team is is really useful. And uh, they they clearly don't have that. And I, I don't know how much he would be playing this year, but I have to imagine it would be more than what we've seen from Jordan McRae in the last two months. Yeah, that's fair. I guess there's that's that's fair. Maybe maybe he'd be helpful, but not. I guess. I don't know. I think when people heard he was coming back, they expected like the Mo Williams from the first time he was here to just be playing a backup role and play to that level, which was clearly not the case. So, yeah, I guess from that perspective, it would be nice to have him on the team because he he, he would sort of fill that role that we're talking about needing someone to fill. Um, I think we would still be saying, you know, is, is he good enough in that role or do we need to upgrade or add something in that area? Um, 
but yeah, I guess that's that's true. I, I I can see where you're coming from there. I don't know if I don't know if I totally agree with it 100, percent but I, there's definitely something there's definitely some validity there. All right, so back in the real world, and and we can put the what ifs aside for a few minutes here. Where do we go now? I I mean, LeBron threw down the gauntlet last night, and you know the day before the Cavs made the the Corbett trade, or at least the day before the word got out that that trade was coming, it felt like that was the last time that he really kind of spoke up in the, in the media and, you know, he, he did it again last night. And um, how long are, is this thing going to play out? Do you think, do you, do you feel like the Cavs are going to try to um, make a trade before the deadline or are we in the wait and see game? What do they even have left? Yeah. What can we still trade? That's kind of where I was going because I, I, I am, kind of of the opinion, I mean, I guess David Griffin, with David Griffin, all things are possible because he pulls rabbits out of a hat all the time. But, um, you know, you just, you look at it. I mean, I don't think they could trade a first-round pick until 2021 now. And, I mean, they've got those trade exceptions. But uh, beyond that, I mean, unless you're looking to unload one of your core players, really not a whole lot of assets to work with. Uh, trade wise and I feel like of the guys that are just available on the market right now if you really were interested in any of them you would have brought them in um I don't think there's anybody of any sort of significance that's become suddenly available within the last week or two so to me it feels like if the Cavs are going to make a move my best guess would be it's probably going to be something uh once uh, the buyouts start hitting and that's really not until after the trade deadline, after the all-star break, uh, right around end of February, beginning of March. Yeah, I I just don't really, I'm not really expecting any more moves. And I, I, I hear people throwing out ideas about um, breaking up, you know, the core. Uh, don't touch the big three. No. Obviously, LeBron and Kyrie are untouchable, 100%. I think LeBron. Uh, Love should probably be 99%. Um, and I don't know who else you're going to, that would have any value if, if you wanted to, you know, upgrade at a, at a major position. Um, there's not going to be any more splash moves coming in. Um, admittedly, I think Corver is probably a, a more splashy move than we even expected. Um, so from that perspective, I think what we have is probably what we're going to have. Um, and I think we probably just need to start, you know, making it as good as possible. And go from there. Yeah, and I, I'm going to also relay the point uh, our podcast guest last time, uh, Kevin Kleps from Cranes, he made today uh, a really great point, I thought. And he said, you know, if you look at their roster, once JR's back, they're going to have the, guy, the seven guys that basically played the entire finals and, and carried them through the finals last year. They, they've got that entire group back. And they're gonna. Uh, they've added Corver this year, and they're probably gonna get one more piece that they can take a stab at. I mean, you and I are in agreement. It's not gonna be anybody of any sort of great significance, most likely. Melo's not coming here. No, Marcus Cousins isn't coming here. All these no. guys and who are always stars and tied up in trade rumors aren't coming to Cleveland. No, and, and the thing with Melo, I'm glad you brought him up. Like, he's a name and. In another situation, he'd be good, but 
with the way the Cavs roster is constructed right now, there there's no real role for him that wouldn't um, materialize unless you radically blew up the roster. And I, I just, I don't see any scenario where that makes any sense for anybody. Cause like, you know, he's got the no trade clause and, you know, I don't think he's going to agree to a trade to come here. Um, if it means taking away any significant core pieces. So right. it's it just for a lot of different reasons that is just, you know, and there's no way you can, and there's no way, even if they kept, if they keep the big three here, they don't have enough salary to put together something to get him back. Right. But like, where do you, okay. So if you bring him in and, and by some miracle, you bring him in and you keep your big three intact, which is not happening, but humor me here for a minute. Where does he play? They put him and him and LeBron probably at the two, the three and the four. Um, Neither one of those guys or, wants or to play the, the four. LeBron will do it out of necessity in the playoffs, but beyond that, like he has no interest in doing that. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know how that looks, honestly. Exactly, um, it just it doesn't. <laughs> that's that's it, it's it's not a good look, and it, it, it's completely forcing them to retool everything they're already doing. So, I think you know, I think we need to sort of scrap the idea of getting another big name in here just because he's a big name. Um, I know you and I aren't advocates of this, so I'm not saying that you need to scrap the idea, but in general, um, and I, I honestly, I don't know that anybody that knows anything is really saying this. You'll see randoms on Twitter that say, oh, this would be cool because they think, you know, if I played in NBA 2K um, and I had all these guys on my team, I could score a lot of points. Um, it's not the but, way the world but, works <laughs> over exactly. here in reality. I'm sorry. Exactly. Exactly. So, and I'm not hearing this from anyone like in the media, even I just, as a guy who listens to sports talk radio, I hear every once in a while, some idiot calls in and is like, you know, they need to, they need to get rid of Kevin Love and bring, uh, bring Mello to Cleveland. Him, he, I know him and LeBron are buddies and they'd love to play together. Nothing yeah, gets me to change. Maybe that's true, but who gives a shit? Nothing gets me to change the radio faster when I'm driving in my car in Cleveland. This call is too common, am I right? That I, I'm telling you, there is no sure, more surefire way to guarantee that you're about to lose a few brain cells than when you hear the phrase on the radio, let's go to the callers. <laughs> it's fun. It's... It, every once in a while, it, it's funny. I find them entertaining. It's It's where I sort of... It's sort of an interesting like uh, cross section of how Twitter looks too. Like there's so much stupid, there's so much dumb on there. Every once in a while, someone comes on and you see this thing that like makes sense, and you're like shocked. You're like, oh, that's actually not a terrible idea. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm with you. It's it's the biggest and, reason I've gotten so into podcast listening and and just you know downloading and subscribing to so many other shows is for the simple reason that I don't have to listen to callers. I want to hear people who are paid to write about this stuff or, or do it by trade or, um, or at least are, you know, put a, put a significant amount of effort into, right. into, you know, forming their opinion as opposed to just, yeah. Uh, this guy's an all-star and we want him. I love listening to the Hey Wendy show on now they've got him on KNR, uh, the, the main, uh, 850 station, but, um, you know, this season, they did not do this very much, if at all, last year, but started taking way more calls, and it's just such a waste 
of the opportunity. You've got one of the probably most plugged in, most highly respected NBA writers, and you've got access to them on your local radio station for a minimum of one to two appearances a week. And you're wasting time with him having to explain why trading Kevin Love away is a terrible idea or, or getting rid of Tristan Thompson is a terrible idea. And it just, I, 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 I face palm every time. Yep. I'm with you. It's, and Wendy takes a lot of shit on, on Twitter from Cleveland people, unfortunately. And I think it's most of it's, you know, not, not very well founded, but um, yeah. Hey, everybody, if on... you're, if you're listening to us and you're among the people that are giving Brian Windhorst shit, stop doing that. He's great at his job, okay? He's really good at it. And it's funny because um, he goes on Rizzo show quite a bit. And Rizzo and Goldhammer um, discussing the NBA um, with any level of expertise or competence is is not typically, you know, it's not their it's not their their sweet spot. Let's just put it that way. Um, and he comes on there and he just goes like, he just, he takes advantage of the, the opportunity and he, he says a lot of stuff and you can tell they don't have any idea what he's talking about. <laughs> They're asking questions here and there and he's just saying what he needs to say. It's fantastic listening. Um, it's usually like 20 to 30 minutes. He usually gives them a pretty good run. Um, <laughs> just completely ignores where they want to take the conversation because he knows so well, he's so in tune with what's going on in the league that he knows if he just goes, it, it's going to be far more valuable than if he lets them drive the topic. Um, so yeah, I'm with you. If, as far as guys that you're going to hear on local Cleveland radio, um, there's there. I don't know that there's anyone that can speak better towards, um, their specific subject than Windhorse can towards the NBA. Yeah. All right. Um, I'll get off my high horse about, you know, why Brian Windhorse deserves all of our, all of our praise, but um, he doesn't need our support, but he's getting it anyway. Uh, no extra yeah. charge. So yeah, you don't, you don't get to his position by just being like a lackey and not, you know, being in tune with what's going on. That's right. So, Hey, let's, let's, uh, let's shift gears here a little bit. Unless you had anything else on the Cavs. No, no, I think that's good. All right. So I'd mentioned I was at the queue last night, a third time in 10 days, uh, all different kinds of events. Uh, Monday night was uh, good old uh, wrestling. And uh, when was the last time you were at a WWE event? A couple years ago. It was probably three years ago. I sat in uh, sat in Dan Gilbert's seat, uh, suite for a pay-per-view. I can't remember which one it was. Might have been like fast lane or something. Uh, I okay, can't that was the one that was here last February. I was at that one. Okay, it might have been before that then. Um, that is actually the only wrestling event I've ever been to. Okay, I was. Uh, I, I I will admit I don't follow it as closely as I have in the past, but um, you know, I go to about one of these a year, and I went down there last night. It was. Uh, it's still pretty fun, and uh, they. Uh, I was impressed with a, a couple of things. They, uh, they brought out the star power. I, I made the jokes about Goldberg and the undertaker, but they were both there and Brock Lesnar was there. And, and that leads me into point number two. Brock had the best wrestling shirt I've seen in probably the past decade. It was, yeah, did you score one of those? You know what? I'm kicking myself. I went to the merchandise stand. I was going to pull the trigger. 
what what's the maximum you would not wrestling just let's say you're at some sort of an event whether it's a a concert or maybe it is wrestling or whatever type of show that you would go to what's the most you would spend on a t-shirt if it was a great shirt like if that was a pretty damn good shirt if it was a great shirt probably like I want to say like 35-ish. Okay. 40 is probably more than I would be. You'd have been on the break then because this I one, they, I, I set my, I walked up to the stand and I said 30 was going to be my max and they had it at 35. And oh, wow. I, okay. I, we did not discuss that beforehand, by the way. What's ahead? We did not oh, discuss yeah. beforehand. So 35 was the out. number that uh, I could not pull the trigger and I woke up today and said maybe I should have it. So Brock, his whole that's, thing is that's the way you look at it, in my opinion. You say 30, 30 bucks, and then do you really is that five bucks really a big difference to you? I know, and that's why I was kicking if myself. Thirty this was morning. okay, but right, I'm with you. you but gotta I, draw the line but, somewhere. But anyway, like so, Brock's whole thing is Suplex City, and um, the the motif they've had on all his shirts in the past couple of years is like a road sign that says "Welcome to Suplex City." Well they localize them when they go to different arenas and it'll say like, welcome to suplex city in Cleveland, Ohio. But what made last night so great was that the shirt was done in Cavs colors and the C in city was the Cavs logo C. So it was, it was really slick. And I don't know. I, I thought it was, um, you know, I, I like something with a local flavor on it. You don't really get an opportunity like that for, uh, for something like that too often. But, uh, Good work by the, the the merch department, and I don't know. I'm assuming the Cavs had to clear that and and the queue and and Dan Gilbert's whole organization. So uh, shout out to them for letting that whole thing happen. But uh, I thought that was awesome. But anyway, you know, with with wrestling, it uh, we're we're coming up this Sunday, the best match of the entire year, the uh, the Royal Rumble. And uh, I know you uh, are familiar with uh, Royal Rumble pools. Are you planning on getting into any of those this year? Uh, if I saw one, I'd get into it. I'm not going to run one like I have in the past. It, it just turns out to be more work than I, that I really want to do. Um, but if I saw one, I'd get in on it. They are fun. They definitely make this event more interesting than it would normally be. And it's pretty damn interesting to begin with if you if you go into it with the right mindset and the right attitude. There's, there is uh, nothing better. You got, if you're going to do a pool, it's, it's always better if you're in the same room with the people who are doing the, the Rumble pool oh, with yeah. you. Because oh, I'm yeah. telling you, there is nothing better than when you see the look on your friend's face when the horn goes off and his wrestler comes out, his number comes up, and the guy like realizes the he's been stuck with headbagger <laughs> mosh. Or, uh... <laughs> right, right, exactly. It is funny because every person that's that's in there um, is waiting for their guy to come in. Um, whether it's, you know, the guy at 10 or the guy at 30. Every person in there is like, all right, you know, my turn's coming, my turn's coming. And then there's that, that 15, 20 second buildup and they're just sitting there like, all right, do I have a chance? And then, yeah, like you said, it's, it's some schmuck who's going to last 45 seconds and get tossed out by three guys. Uh, always classic. So uh, a few of my favorite Royal Rumbles from years past, and I always love having an excuse to go look on uh, YouTube or, or one of the other uh, video sites for this, um, I know you're not a big Ric Flair fan because of his allegiances with Michigan, but uh, yeah, his his performance in 1992 still ranks as the greatest thing ever, with uh, winning winning the championship by winning the Rumble and um, going into the back uh, interview room afterwards and getting presented with the title and 
saying with a tear in my eye, this is the greatest thing that's ever happened in my entire life. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's funny because he's not lying. <laughs> Stone Cold um, had a great one in 1997. This was like right when he was on the cusp of becoming the uh, probably the biggest star ever. And um, he had a great run there. They did this at the Alamo Dome that year, and they're actually back at the Alamo Dome this year. So there's going to be like 45,000 people there. But um, he had a, an awesome run where he was like just throwing out one guy after another and then kind of sitting on the ropes, camping out, waiting for the next guy to come down. And he was in a big rivalry with Bret Hart at the time. And then all of a sudden Bret Hart's music hits and Austin looked like he was about to shit himself. And then he actually went and fought him and, and cheated like hell to win. And that was, uh, that was great. Um, Two more that I I remembered. Uh, John Cena in 2008, um, Madison Square Garden. Um, Cena was being pushed by the company as being like the the be-all, end-all, and the fans had kind of turned on him. But he had been injured for about six months before that and came in as a big surprise, and everybody went crazy and cheered him. And then as soon as he got in the ring, within about 10 seconds, everybody realizes, oh, wait, we hate this guy, and immediately went back to booing him. So (laughs) that was really fun. Um and then in terms of crowds kind of losing their minds for all the wrong reasons, 2014 was um, really f- interesting because Daniel Bryan had become this cult hero and everybody wanted him to win. He was about as over as a guy can be without being like the guy. Exactly. Without being Stone Cold or The Rock or Hogan it was or this someone like that. Totally organic thing. I mean, he's this little five foot eight guy completely undersized and and everybody beard and exactly and everybody just loved him and that night they put him in the first match on the card and he lost and everybody's like oh that kind of sucks and it took the air out of the room everybody's like oh it's okay he's gonna come back and be in the royal rumble later and then you're watching the rumble and like 25 26 27 and you get to like the last number 30 and he still wasn't in and at that point i realized i'm like he's not going to be in this match and if they don't bring him out for number 30 like that place is going to riot and sure enough ray mysterio comes out and poor ray mysterio um yeah exactly fed to the wolves it was horrible and uh ironically was that the year that um What's his face? Uh, Roman Reigns won, and everyone knew Roman Reigns was going to win. No, see, so okay, so that actually leads. To, this was great. That was the year that like everybody knew Batista was the guy that was supposed Batista, to be winning. So Reigns was like the last guy left in there with them, and at that point, just because like the crowd was so pissed off, they like kind of half-heartedly started backing Reigns, and. Uh, then the whole Batista thing fizzled uh, in the months after that. And then they decided Reigns was going to be the guy. So then the next year, he was the guy that got pushed way harder than anybody really wanted. So then they booed him out of the building. And here we are now in 2017. And I have to tell you, he was like, I think the first guy that came out on Raw last night. And people are still booing him out of the building even now. It's unbelievable. Yeah, it's... It's funny. The Royal Rumble can really like it can really alienate people, I think, because there's so much build up to it and because the match is so long and everyone feels like, you know, there's a lot of options as to who can win. It's not just one guy or this other guy. Um they've botched it the last couple of years, I feel like, and they've they've, you know, 
pissed off a lot of people and I don't, and sometimes that's good for business. Um, I'm not totally sure that's been the case lately um, because guys that they had, uh, had hoped to really push and get over have just sort of fizzled out and aren't really, aren't really a big draw anymore. It hasn't stopped cares him, about them. And it hasn't stopped him from trying with Roman Reigns. And um, I don't think he's act. I think he's in one of the other matches and uh, a title match on Sunday. So I don't think we're going to have to worry about him in the Royal Rumble itself, but you know, you're going to get the undertaker and Bill Goldberg. And I think you and I were actually talking about Goldberg before, um, he, uh, before we started recording our episode here tonight, uh, you actually, you saw the segment that he was in at the end of the show. I right? did. Yeah. I switched over after the Cavs game and was able to catch the last part. So did you see, he was like bleeding from the head, even though he wasn't in a match. Well, he headbutts this door when he walks out. So he walks out of his dressing room and he headbutts the door and he split it open. That's what happened. Okay. Cause uh, like we were all wondering in the arena and I was with my dad and he's like, is he like bleeding from his head? Like, and I told him, I'm like, you know, I think this guy gets himself so revved up. He like slams his head into lockers and things like that. So it was a door. Yeah. You know how they always show him like in the dressing room and he like pushes the door open. Okay. Well, he like headbutts the door as he walks out. Um, and he makes that like long walk to, to the arena or whatever, but yeah, like right away. And by the time he got up there, yeah, he had a little bit of blood running down his face. All right. Um, so there's lesson number two for our, our listeners tonight. You know, number one, don't give Brian Windhorst shit on Twitter. Number two, don't go headbutting doors before you're about to be on national television. If you needed to be told that, um, you may not be listening to this podcast in the first place. Um, but hopefully, and this, this sounds bad, but if that was the case, that would actually explain a lot because he cut one of the worst promos I've ever seen. <laughs> he just lost track of what he was saying three different times. Um, and, and when he finally got out what he was trying to say, it wasn't worth saying. Um, it's it's perfectly clear to me why Paul Heyman yeah, handles, handles all that for, uh, for, for Brock Lesnar because and, and it was uh, made guys that can't do it. Not all the more glaring because Heyman came out afterwards yeah. and was – once again in fine form. Yeah, I was sitting there and, and all I could think was, God, they should have sent Heyman out about three minutes earlier. <laughs> Completely bailed him out. Yeah. Well, Heyman bailed out uh, that segment. And uh, I guess as we wrap up here, we're still looking for somebody to bail out uh, the Cavs. So uh, probably a good point to, to wrap it up. Anything else you wanted to get into before we close up shop for tonight? Um... I don't think so. You got a pick for the Super Bowl? No, I think that's good. Um, I know it's go early. Atlanta we got a week and a half, but yeah, I'm going to go Atlanta because I want Atlanta, but I don't have a strong feel for who's going to win. Honestly, um, Matt Ryan's playing unbelievable right now, so wouldn't hate it if he won. Um, and I'm, I'm obviously I'm kind of sick of the Patriots and Tom Brady and all that, so. Um, yeah, I'll just say Falcons. I don't know if I have a good reason why I think they'll win. I just kind of want them to. I'm a little scarred from seeing Cam Newton um, and the Panthers under the bright lights of the Super Bowl for the first time last year and what that did to them against um, Denver. And, you know, you get into a situation this year where 
basically the entire Falcons core is playing in the Super Bowl for the first time versus a team that's been there more than anybody in the entire history of the league. So that concerns me a little bit, but at the same time, I think I'm with you. Um, I think a lot of people are sleeping on the Falcons. I'll be honest. I think I watched the championships games this past Sunday, and I think that was the first Falcons game I had seen all year. And Mm -hmm. their offense is really impressive. And, you know, go figure. It's it's a former Browns coordinator who's making it happen and is about to get a head coaching job in San Francisco, it looks like. But, um, yeah, what Kyle Shanahan's got going with their offense and what Matt Ryan's doing and, you know, Julio Jones as a receiver, they, they're they're fun to watch. That that that's uh, that's a great offense, and I'm just I'm hoping we get a decent game for the Super Bowl because uh, the the Packers Cowboys game was tremendous in the divisional round, and I I enjoy. It. I know a lot of people didn't like it. I really like the Pittsburgh Kansas City game, but other than that, this has to go down as the worst NFL playoffs I can ever remember. Yeah, yeah, it's been a majority of the games have been you know well decided before you know the fourth quarter goes, rolls around so a lot of chalk and not particularly close so. yeah yeah mm. um so hopefully the super bowl lives up to the hype i mean last year's was kind of a dud year before that was a classic um so we'll see all right my man i think that's a good place to uh uh wind it down here so as cool. uh, works for me all right so As always, you can subscribe to our show on iTunes or Stitcher or Google Play Music or whatever podcast listening app you prefer on your phone. Go like our Facebook page at uh, facebook.com slash thenailpodcast. You can stream all of our old episodes on uh, our website, uh, thenailpodcast.com. And uh, yeah, that'll do it. So for Jeff Julie, it's uh, Tom Valentino. It's been The Nail in the Coffin, and we will talk to you again next week. Have you ever wanted to know how to win a Formula One Grand Prix? I mean, really know. Know about the driver tactics from the cockpit, the strategy calls from the pit wall, and even the mind games in the paddock. There's a lot more that goes into winning a Grand Prix than just 90 minutes of racing. So every week on the F1 Strategy Report, we're taking a deep dive into the decisions that shape every result. Hey there, my name is Michael Laminato, and every week I'm joined by an expert guest from the paddock to talk through the big calls that won the race and the missteps that resulted in bitter defeat. Before every race, we'll look back at the previous year's result and consult the current form guide, and we'll be in your feed after every Grand Prix dissecting the outcome and what it means for the championship. So for your regular hit of Formula One analysis, subscribe to the F1 Strategy Report wherever you get your favourite podcasts. The Strategy Report is a beer mogul podcast on the Evergreen Podcasts Network. My name's Michael Laminato and I'll catch you after the chequered flag.